Welcome to the Jess Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. On this episode, I'm excited to have Mike Salguero, uh, founder of ButcherBox. Mike, thanks for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, most people have heard of ButcherBox, but if somebody hasn't, can you can you give us the overview? Sure. Um, we deliver what we call claims-based meat, but meat raised better uh, in the mail. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think, you know, we've been lucky enough to have some great entrepreneurs on the show over the years, um, but I am extra fascinated by entrepreneurs who bootstrapped. Um, are you, you know, I know in the past you've, you've uh, disclosed some annual revenue numbers. Did you guys disclose for 2022? Uh, yeah, we, we were shy of $600 million. Um, so yes, we, uh, we started the business in 2015. In September of 2015, um, I had come off a seven and a half year stint running a venture backed company um, and was really disillusioned by raising money. I just did not want to raise money again. And I didn't want the venture capitalists and the investors and all of the all of the stuff that goes with that. So this time around, I said, I don't care how small the business is. I'll just build a hobby. Like, who cares? Um, and uh, this obviously has grown to be beyond a hobby. But we have uh, stuck to our guns and have never raised a dime of outside capital. That's so fun. You know, um, we had uh, Chip Wilson on a few weeks ago uh, who grew Lululemon to like, I think the day he was on, it was worth like $47 billion, right? <laughs> and he says the, the worst mistake he ever made was going public. Mm. And he said that uh, he had had a conversation with Bill Gates who, who felt the same way. It was like all of a sudden, all these people who don't actually know how to run the business are telling me what I can and can't do. And he felt like there was so much more money they could have made, so many more things they could have done if if they would have had, you know, if the decisions were really being made by purebred entrepreneurs. And, yeah, well, uh, one of the challenges that you run into, uh, especially if you believe, as I do, that you should be giving away equity to people who are part of the company, one of the challenges is like, well, how do they get liquidity, right? So if you don't sell and you don't go public, then like, how, how does anyone get paid? Um, we deal with the same thing. We don't have outside investors. By the way, if you have outside investors, there's even more pressure to have a liquidity event um, because those venture capitalists need to raise their next fund. So they want to make sure that their fund returns um, capital. Uh, but yeah, we have the same challenge, which is like, I don't have any design to go public and I don't have any design to sell the company. I think the opportunity here is to build an iconic brand in food, in meat. And uh, that's going to take a long time. And it's like, how do you reconcile that with somebody who's been on the team for five years and has been on a rocket ship and is like, yeah, but I, I want to cash out for what, uh, you know, for all this value creation that I've created. Um, very, very tough thing to tow, but I'm very glad that we did not go public. I mean, obviously during the SPAC days and uh, D2C days of, of over the past few years, we had a lot of uh, inbound interest in taking us public and, um, I remain pleased that we did not. I mean, for, for me, there's so many similarities. Whether you have the investors at the beginning or the end, if, if, if it's positioned in a way where you have a board and all of a sudden this is their business instead of yours and you're just working for them, you know. Uh, anyways, I think we have some alignment on those concepts. Yeah. Uh, so when you think about that problem, how have you approached it? Uh, well, I, I mean, first of all, on the investor side, yeah, I think, um, you know, my first company, uh, again, we, we raised about $30 million of outside funding from um, venture capitalists like Google and First Round Capital and a bunch of others. And um, 
you know, the business didn't work out. Like we didn't have product market, product market fit. We were, my, my co-founder and I were really good at raising money. Uh, we were really good at packaging the story and selling the hope and the dream. Um, but when it came to the business, it just didn't work, but we kind of got pushed into a business that like didn't, didn't work with butcher box. Um, it was pretty remarkable to have to start with like no outside funding. Um, so we started in 2015 In 2015, there were like 75 blue apron lookalikes and blue apron was the darling of venture capital. And, uh, this is before they went public. Now they're trading at like $30 million market cap, but they're raising at like a $2 billion valuation. And so in the box subscription, like food coming to your door box subscription world, everyone was getting funded. Right. And so we started and we said like, I'm not taking funding. We started with a Kickstarter. Um, we tried to game Kickstarter. We did game Kickstarter. We thought there was an opportunity to like game it and, um, and have outsized return. So we, we, I put in $10,000 of my own money, uh, Kickstarter. We did 210,000 in pre-sales and then roll to a website. And then just, it just started snowballing from there. Um, then we moved into influencers and we told these influencers, so people who were like paleo doctors and whole 30 enthusiasts we were like, we can't pay you up front because we don't have any money. So um, if you could just like, you know, we'll pay you a residual. We'll give you like $10 per, per subscriber per month or whatever. And they all said yes. Um, and, you know, like we, we wouldn't have even thought of that model um, had we raised money. And then you fast forward to, I believe it was 2017 when Blue Apron went public. And, you know, the, the last private round they had done was at a $2 billion valuation. They go public and immediately, like before the lockout, their stock is trading at like, I don't know, call it a couple hundred million dollars. Just a massive loss in value. And what happened in the venture capital industry is all of the money for box subscription companies just dried up overnight, gone. Um, and then all of the companies like the plateds and green chefs of the world, like everyone was in trouble because everyone had built non-profitable businesses and they just knew they could raise more money until the day the music runs out. And you, you, you know, it's like a game of musical chairs. If the music runs out, you're, um, you, you, you better find a chair <laughs> quick. Um, and so a lot of those companies either went under or they, um, sold for way below what they had raised. And the whole industry just like had a hard reset um, and frankly has not recovered. I mean, Blue Apron is still trading really poorly. HelloFresh has, has um, you know, is, is kind of the only one that's really out there at any big scale. And, um, you know, I, I truly believe that if we had gone out and raised money, um, we would not be here today. We would have failed because I would have built a non-profitable model. We've been like, oh, we're growing, we're growing, and we're throwing money at Facebook or whatever we'd be throwing money at. And we'd look up, and at a certain point, music runs out, there's no money left over, and we'd be, you know, we would we would have gone under as well. And so the, the decision, which was definitely born out of, like, the traumatic experience I had with venture capitalists, the decision um, really set us up on a different path. And that like one decision, I think, is one of the core decisions that we've made as a company that has really set um, a, a different, like charted a different course. It's not easy. You know, people, uh, people call or ask to get on the phone with me and about my experience with bootstrapping and they're thinking about bootstrapping. And it's like, it's not an easy path. Um, we don't have a backstop. 
you know, like there's, it's a little bit better now because we have a cash position, but like when you don't have a backstop, things can get pretty dicey. Like it can feel, it can feel really like exposed. Um, so it's definitely not for everybody, but, um, without investors, um, we believe that we can build the business the right way. And this business, especially growing animals the right way, which isn't necessarily the highest margin way to do things. Um, we believed that removing outside influences would have a huge impact on our ability to do what we thought was right. Um, and so, you know, as we got going and we started getting traction, we crossed and, and we grew super fast. I mean, we, it was like, um, that first year we did 300,000, you know, the, uh, it was like a few months, 2015, 16, we did five, then we did 33, then we did a hundred, then we did 220, then we did 440, 550. So like we, we, we grew really fast and, um, up until, up until last year, which was, was not a good growth year. Um, and you know, throughout that, that was like, without raising money, we've been offered money a lot. Um, and we just keep saying no. Um, and I, I think that's the right approach. I mean, obviously during the heyday of 2020, 2021, when people are raising on these crazy valuations, you know, I'm looking around like, maybe, maybe we should be raising too. I don't know. But um, now that that's like whipsawed back, I, I feel like we made the right decision. Yeah. Um, well, and, and a lot of times private businesses don't even care. But if you do care, what do you think your valuation is these days? I mean, like, like if we were to sell valuation or sure, like, uh, yeah, um, I honestly have no idea. Uh, I think, you know, I've heard everything from three to five X revenues to like, oh no, nowadays you're going to be 12 X EBITDA. Um, you know, like I have, I have no idea. Um, what, what do you think that range would put you at? Uh, I mean, a couple billion dollars. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I've said that like my number, you know, cause it's like, yeah, yeah. It, it's all well and good to say like, I'll never sell. And it's like, okay, cool. But what's your number? Like, cause everyone has a number. And I've said like, well, you know, a, a few billion dollars, like I definitely am going to not say no, I'll, I'll, I'll get some more information. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think I would be, I would have a lot more of a confident answer at the end of 21 or at the end of 2020. Um, you know, D to C in 22, um, was brutally hard. It was brutally hard for us. We did grow, but barely. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know how people think about valuations now. Like, yeah. you know, gone are the days that we're growing hundred percent year over year. Hopefully we can get back to those, but you know, it's like, I, I don't know how we would be thought about. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's a pretty fantastic feat to build any business to, to the $2 billion level. Right. But bootstrapping it is like a whole, whole new level. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, like I think it'd be like a, a tough thing to, to ride a bike for a hundred miles straight. Some people run it. <laughs> right. Do you know what I mean? Right. right? Okay. So um, <clears throat> I've been asking, so we've been lucky enough to have, I don't know, 25 folks on here have grown zero to billion. And uh, I, I'm really fascinated with how some of like how some of their answers are so similar when they don't know each other. And yet there's always insights with these different guys. So uh, I want to talk to you about something you brought up, product market fit. Yep. Um, how do you define that? <laughs> um, 
so I, I guess I'll, 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 I'll tell a story and then hopefully that'll, uh, we'll come up with a definition. So my first company, custommade.com, we were a marketplace for custom stuff. So we connected consumers who wanted to buy like a custom engagement ring or a custom coffee table with a, with a maker. Great concept, worked really well. We had great SEO because the site had been around forever. Um, and, you know, we built this marketplace and uh, we built a marketplace because that's what our VCs wanted us to do. And that's what we sold people on our ability to do. And um, it was like, you know, every quarter, I'm a big believer in annual goals and quarterly goals and like, you know, very goal driven. So every quarter we'd be like, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And like, we just never hit anything. Like, <laughs> never hit our revenue targets, never hit our, our conversion targets. Like it just didn't work. Like it constantly felt like we were trying to push a boulder up the hill. And like that boulder was just like, I don't want to go up that hill. Like stop. Uh, fast forward to ButcherBox and it has felt like literally from the day that we launched our Kickstarter within, I, I think it was like an, within an hour we had hit our $25,000 Mark, the first day we had raised like thirty-five or forty thousand dollars. First day. Um, and the boulder has been rolling down the hill the whole time. And so for me, product market fit is when the when you stop pushing the boulder and the boulder starts like pushing you or rolling over you. That is like when you know you've got something. Um and for us, um, you know, I, I have this belief that like businesses kind of like have a mind of their own they um they choose what they want to be so when i started this it was truly going to be a hobby business like i was like reading tim ferris four hour work week and thinking about how i was going to outsource everything and it was going to be this i'll get a thousand subscribers paying me 20 like a 20 dollar profit and i'll have a nice little lifestyle business on my hands like that's what i was hoping for this was not in the cards at all and you know like i i it's it i i'm i'm always humbled by the fact that like i don't i didn't get a choice like i guess i did but really like the business butcher box wanted to be something bigger than i ever imagined and i always say like i i can imagine like simone biles is the gymnast like i can imagine her parents are like you know she's like doing backflips they're like like maybe we should start her on gymnastics, you know, like they, they didn't choose that. You don't choose that. It's like the, the, there's a calling within this person um, that's like, I'm going to do something bigger than you imagined. And that's how I feel about ButcherBox. Like, you know, people are like, oh, like, that's so amazing. You built this huge company. And I'm like, yes, but also like, I don't think that's because of me. Like, I think that for whatever reason, like this needed to be grown um, and it's, it's taken on a life of its own. So um, for somebody who feels like, I mean, so I just had the Fred Vicola on who he took over Kisera at like 120 million and now they're at 20 billion. Um, he was on a couple of days ago and we were talking about um, his opinion so often is it, it's related to what you're talking about. He's like, you get somebody really smart who has picked a market that is not a giant market and they get to 300 million and they're like, how do I get into the billions? And you're like, well, you, you didn't pick a market where that's a very reasonable thing. And it, to me, it feels similar to what you're talking about. You know, like I remember being like a 22 year old art school dropout before I wiggled my ways into uh, investment banking. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was working like at a cell phone store. You know what I mean? 
And these guys were doing really well. They had a chain. I think they, had, they were up to like seven of them, right? And it's like <clears throat> the, the reasonableness of them becoming a multi-billion dollar business as a secondary reseller of cell phones in the mall, it, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a tough, that's a tougher ask, right? Um, so there's definitely that aspect of it. But, but within the constraints, let's say somebody does have a big enough addressable market. Let's say that they do have a business that they have the inclination, like, no, this really could make it, but there's something I'm not doing right. What, what skills or what levers would you think about or what principles would you advise a CEO founder when they're saying, like, I think our product market fit could be better? So I'm a big believer in uh, who, not what. That's like one of my core philosophies uh, in my life, my personal life and my professional life. Who, not what, what do I mean? Um, if you have a problem, any problem, anything from a you know, marital problem, kid problem, health problem, uh, marketing problem, product market fit problem, instead of saying, how am I going to fix this? You say, who can I, like, who do I have in my network who could help me with this question? Or who do I who do I know that might know somebody else who could help me with this question? You focus on who, not what. Like, and you don't even think about what until you've talked to who. Um, and that is like I, I think a lot of entrepreneur being an entrepreneur, like running a company, being an entrepreneur is lonely. Um, and it's especially lonely if you aren't reaching out to people for help. And um, focusing on the who in your network, um, or you know, like. Twitter these days, LinkedIn these days. I mean, people reach out, people reach out and get help from each other in ways that are are fairly unique these days. Um, I just recommend that people um, really focus on that and like don't just like reach out to one person and it's like, oh, they didn't answer me, so I I, I guess you know I'll just kind of sit back. It's like that that's not how it works either. You you're like I need I need to solve this question. So when I started ButcherBox. Um, I didn't know how to ship meat in the mail. It was like, like I, I had this concept. Uh, my wife and I were trying to eat grass-fed beef. We found farmers who made it. Like I, I, I knew, I thought that this could be a subscription business that I could make like a nice, a, a little margin off of and turn it into a hobby. I had no idea how to ship a box. And so the first thing I did is I just started calling like frozen shipping companies. And I'm like, Do you, can I ship boxes? And they're like, no, no. And I, then I remembered who, not what. And so I was like, okay, who ships a lot of meat in the mail? Omaha Steaks. So I started looking for Omaha Steaks shipments and Omaha Steaks, like, like, and I stumbled across an article. There was a gentleman's name in the article. I found that gentleman on LinkedIn. I reached out to him. It turns out he retired three years prior and was like, I'll help you. They're like, no problem. And suddenly, like, all of this stuff that I had no idea what the answer was, was solved because I focused on like finding the right person rather than like the information. You know, um, it reminds me so much. Um, I don't know if you read either of the Netflix books um, that their head of people wrote yep. one and then, uh, and then Reed wrote uh, his, and this idea of like treating a company like a pro athlete team where it's like, hey, if that person can win us an Oscar, can we really overpay for them? Like, what if they're triple the cost of a regular staff, but we win an Oscar? Like, the, the net benefit to us, like, that is, the, that is, like, the player you've got to pay for. And, like, sure, the accountants are people that are maybe a little more exchangeable. We, we pay upper mid. But, like, those people that make the difference, 
like that's that's not where we save our money right kind of a concept it sounds like there's some similarities there yeah for sure i mean that definitely has translated over to our staff as well in terms of like um you know for us we're first and foremost a food company right and so we think long and hard about the people that we bring on to help us like procure the best stuff and negotiate the best and um, make sure it's as safe as possible and all those things it's like yeah critical yeah um <clears throat> so i want to kind of double down on this concept um founder listening today they're saying ah that's a good idea i need to quit like having the echo chamber of our team like i need to get out there and and do what mike says and get after the who any any advice any principles when you are reaching for advice when you are looking for advisors things like this yeah how to help that go well yeah so there have been several times in my career where i have um really gone deep into the world of like uh uh networking or informational interviews um i i uh, i got out of college i did a real estate rentals and sales thing then i did a t-shirt venture then I decided I didn't know what I was doing and I wanted a real job. And so I spent six months like sleeping on friends' couches and trying to get a job in commercial real estate in Boston. And um, I learned a lot about like how to get, how to like weasel your way into organizations and talk to the people and whatnot. Here's a couple of things that I learned. Uh, one, um, the more successful someone is, this is like very counterintuitive, but very true. The more successful someone is, the more willing they will be to help you. Like oftentimes it's like, oh, I don't want to bother the CEO or the chairman or woman or whatever. Like I, I'll just talk, I'll just talk to this VP. Like that VP is never going to talk to you. Never in a million years. You reach out to the CEO, like they'll talk to you usually, not always. Um, some are too busy, whatever. But like my hit rate on like the senior, the most senior level person, the person running the company was so much higher than anybody else down below. Why? Well, I found this is definitely true for me. Uh, and I, I definitely true for people that I know that run companies. You, you, it's very hard to get to the top unless you like had help from somebody else. Right. A lot of these people are doing the same who, not what, and building out big networks and like helping each other. And you, you, you realize there's like this golden key to the world of like being helpful to each other, remembering each other and like trying to help and like everyone wins if we can all help each other. And so what I have found is the more successful somebody is, the more like they recognize how much they were helped and therefore have a deep desire to pass it forward. Now that doesn't mean that you can help everybody, right? But it does mean, especially if somebody's like tenacious, like, you know, they don't just send one message. They're like, they send a message and then they're like, well, what about this? And then they're like, Hey, how about I send you a sample? And then like at a certain point you're like, okay, fine. Like I'll, I'll talk to you. Um, so that works really well. The other one, which is kind of like, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's less true these days, but, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I okay. I, I won't say it. it's definitely true these days as well. I oftentimes find that people, um, you know, it's like, Hey, can we meet? And then, um, I'm, I'm like, yeah, sure. Like talk to my assistant Casey, like let's find a time or whatever. Um, and then people just start like treating the, the person's assistant, like, like they're like a third class citizen. Like I, I need this date or I need this or like, 
you need to remember that that person, like, like for me, Casey or my chief of staff, but like they control my calendar. Right. So like, if you're not nice to them, you're, you're not going to get in my calendar, like period. Right. If you, you know, don't show up or aren't responding fast enough or whatever, or just a little snarky in your email, like they don't have to put you in there. So even if I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. Like, I'd love to help you. You got to remember that, like, you need to, you know, also take care of the people that that person surrounds themselves with. Um, I have found that Twitter is really great. And I've found that LinkedIn is really great for um, outreach. Those are the two platforms that I've, I've found the best luck with um, versus like cold emails. Yeah. We have a friend that we go to church with who is a, the uh, executive assistant to a senator. She said, life was great. People were so nice to me because they were <laughs> always trying to get, she's like, I got gifts. I got tickets to the Kennedy Center. I yeah, got totally. so many things. They wanted, totally. they wanted time with the senator. Yeah, um, they can't give those gifts to the senator, so they might as well give them to her. Yeah, I think about it. You know, we we started this little fund. We raised like $27 million for it. And people like, you know, we're hiring MBAs or different people. Like they had no clue how much we relied on our, our staff at the front door, like my, my assistant and other people of like, what were they like before the interview? How, what was it like setting this up? Like we were interviewing our team about them as much as like what they actually said to us. Right. 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 Totally. And I think people lose sight of that when they think about like, Oh, I need this piece of information. And it's like, yes, but also can you be helpful to that person? You know, like, um, the other thing I'll say is, um, I'm a huge believer in mentors. Um, so I have, I have lots of mentors and, um, the best ones are ones that I've had a, you know, 10 year standing, like literally 10 years we've been meeting once a month and talking and like, I've never paid them anything. Oftentimes they don't even let me pay for the meal. Like it's, you know, it's just like, they love the success that they've been able to see with me and like the relationship we've had. And, um, and I love just being a sponge for information. And so oftentimes, um, you know, if you're on this, this path of who, not what, if you really click with someone, you're like, wow, that person has a lot more to teach me. Like, it's okay to say like, would you mind meeting with me again in a month or two? Like that, that's a great way to get people, um, kind of in your orbit. Um, and, and maybe thinking a little bit longer and harder about how to help you. That's such great advice. Um, you know, we've talked about people, um, you know, founder CEOs are constantly being told the team, the team, the team all the time, right? Yep. Um, when you think about your approach to, to both selecting great folks to join the team and then getting them to choose you, what are your, what's your mindset? We talking early on or, or like just in general or either what, at what stage let's just are we talk about, about, let's just talk about the most important members, you know, the, the critical, okay. like those high leverage team members, whether it's early on or whether it's later. Well, arguably you don't have a chance on later unless you hire the right people to start with. But, um, <laughs> sure. so, um, okay. So I heard this analogy somewhere. It's not mine, but I talk about it all the time. Um, when you're, when you're starting a company, it's like hacking through a jungle with machetes. There's no path. You're like in the middle of the jungle. You have no idea where you are. Um, at that stage, the best thing are like people who will just keep hacking at that machete, will not lose hope, 
and will will infuse you with hope you the leader like because sometimes you're like shit like where are we and they're like don't worry just keep hacking we'll be fine those people like tons of grit um i've found that like you know athletes people who have an athletic background or some sort of background where they just like had to keep going be relentless military um is really helpful and this is kind of like the types of people who are helping you to get like fit obviously some of them are could be it could be an engineer um could be a salesperson in our case it was a lot of sales and marketing um but there's like you know your, your jungle hackers and then you hit a dirt road right and it's like oh okay well let's follow this dirt road does anyone know how to use a compass at that point, you're starting to think like, oh, maybe we should hire some like really specific talent. Like for us, it was a meat buyer, right? Like we needed someone who knew how to buy meat because we didn't know how to buy meat. And now we were big enough that it was like, I think they could cover their salary if they started buying meat. Like we, so, and then eventually that, that path leads to like a, a road and maybe there's a bus on the road, right? And then it becomes like, okay, I've got this bus. Um, how do I fill it with both hackers and bus drivers and like have an eclectic band of people to like help push this business forward? And um, at that point, you're really trying to find people like, and there's an art to this. At a certain point, you need to hire people who know what they're doing, like that are like specialists, like they know they've done this before. Now, the problem if you bring them in too early is they can they can ruin the kind of like hacker mentality, right? And I don't just mean hacker like building websites. I mean hacker like hacking through the jungle. Because oftentimes when you start a company, you need to take shortcuts in order to like move faster. And so there's an art to like when you're you're on the bus and you're like, okay, we're going to bring in someone who's done this before and they're going to sit next to you. Um, and that has always, that's a very dangerous time for companies is when you start bringing in people who know what they're doing. Now, what we did, which I think is um, probably one of the most brilliant things I've done as a, uh, as a CEO. Um, we, so my meat buyer, the first meat buyer we brought into the company uh, had retired. Um, I pulled him out of retirement, actually similar to the Omaha Steaks guy was like had retired. And then like I pulled him out to get to help. So you're talking about someone in their mid 60s who had retired, was like not really planning on going back to work and is like, all right, fine. I'll like I'll do one more gig. Um, the like that type of person is traditionally passed over, especially for like a high growth tech company. But like at companies, very few people are like, um, you know, like, oh yeah, I would consider somebody who just retired and had had a 40 year career. Now, the reality is you compare that knowledge to like the head of meat buying of Blue Apron, who's like 40. Like, who do you think's getting a better deal? The guy who's been in, in the industry for literally 25 more years? Like, of course. And so what we found worked really well is you take these like young, hungry hackers and you pair them with like older, more seasoned, almost retired individuals who, who like, they're really just, they're, 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 they're looking to have a lot of fun and they're looking to pass on their knowledge to somebody else. I call it the barbell strategy worked amazingly well. Um, so we did that in a number of positions, everything from shipping and logistics to technology and data to procurement. 
Um, and uh, I think it was one of the, the really unique formulas to our success as we uh, started scaling up. Okay, that is so fun to hear because I literally never heard of anybody doing that except for Chip Wilson from Lululemon a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> nice. Okay? So before I tell you how he did it, I want to know what did that pairing look like logistically? Like, is, are, are they are they literally tag teaming? Is somebody in charge? What, 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 uh, what usually like the I, I mean, I guess in the the case of those those three examples, uh, the the older person was in charge. Like we brought them in to like kind of run run the group. Um, and then we had a bunch of younger people underneath. Um, so yeah, logistically, I mean, it just depends on what you're hiring for. Some of the roles can be like you're a lone wolf, but um, so but it wasn't like clearly like, a mentoring, like yeah. run the thing and mentor the talent. Mentor all of us, including me. Like I don't know what I'm doing. You gotta you gotta mentor me as well. Yeah, like like all of us can stand to learn a ton from you. Just like while you're working, if you could just let us know what's happening, like that'd be great. Um, Work great, <laughs> amazingly. That's so great. Um, okay, then what about, so you, you think you found the right person, like whether it's the retired person or someone else, right? Yep. And now you're like, oh, great, but how do I get them to want me? What, what's, your, what's your thoughts about attracting them to choose you? Yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, I guess first and foremost, um, before you're like, how do I get them to want me? You need to make sure that they fit in with what you're looking for. So, I'm a big believer in companies um, having core values and writing down their core values. Um, the process by which we have gone through, we did, we went through, which I've recommended to other people, is as you get going, let's say you have 10 people or, or less five, you start to brainstorm like what are the attributes of the people that are like that, like our best people, what makes them great? And usually, and then you like kind of word clouded and you come up with some words and those words like then become kind of the beginning of your core values. Um, very important to never stray from your core values when you're hiring. I did that in my first company. It was not, not good. Meaning like, oh, their resume is amazing though. Like, let's just hire them. Yeah, we know that they're, they're probably not like humble, which is one of our core values. Like, but that's okay. Like, that's fine. Of, of course, they're not humble. Look at their resume. That doesn't work. It's like, if that's one of your core values, you need to make sure that every single person you hire is screened against those values. Um, and so, and especially as you grow, so we're 200 people now, um, as you grow, uh, it gets harder and harder for you, the person in charge, to actually meet everybody, right? So you need to build infrastructure so that nobody is hired without making sure that they have gone through like the cultural screen, right? So um, yeah, that's really, really important. But okay, so let's say they fit your core values and now you're trying to like woo them to work for you versus all the other places that they can work. Um, what do I have to say to that? Well, one, I usually don't negotiate on salary. Like meaning they're like, I want X. I'm not like, well, let's pay you 95% of X and I just don't do that because like it doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't want people worried about money. Um, I want them to feel like they're paid, like compensated well. Um, and like that's just kind of the philosophy. So I think a lot of people um, start off the relationship poorly by um, 
like trying trying to like make their money there and it just it, it doesn't work well like person comes in they're they're just like upset and um they feel taken advantage of and it just doesn't work well um and then i think like just being really like um i'm a heart leader so i, I lead with my heart um like I, I i'm very open and honest with my like who I am and like what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to bring to the world. And th those types of things I find work really well to like get people excited about what we're doing. Just being like open and myself um, works really well. Um, if you're working on something that's exciting to you and that excitement comes off, um, people will want to follow you. Um, I think you know, your first couple of hires are, are, are tough. And as you get into the groove, you're like, wow, people, people like me. They, they like this business. Like this will be, th this is great. Uh, it becomes a lot easier. Um, and, uh, I think on the backside too, like you didn't ask this, but I'll, I'll just throw it in there. Um, uh, you know, not like basically I've said at my company, like, I, I want ButcherBox to be around for 25 years or 100 years. Like we're going to build this iconic food brand. And so what does that mean? That means that every single person who's at the company is going to leave. Just a matter of time, including me. So, you know, I think leaving the company or asking somebody to leave the company is so taboo. People feel so bad, like, you know, lose tons of sleep. It's like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe like we have to let this person go. And so they just keep people for longer and longer and longer. And, um, I have very little tolerance for that because I think it's like people are avoiding doing the hard thing. And oftentimes the hard thing actually is relieving for everyone, <laughs> including the person who like needs to be let go. Um, and so like one, if somebody leaves, like they go and get another job, try not to take that personally. That's taken years for me to be like, I, I have like a, yeah, I, I tend to think like, oh my goodness, like I did something wrong. They're they're leaving me. They're abandoning me. Like I, yeah, I just, I, I can tailspin. But people leave because for a whole bunch of reasons. Like, and maybe the uh, opportunity they're going to seems like a more interesting one. And then also, if people aren't working out, like you want to give people a chance. You want to make sure that you're giving them fair and honest feedback. But also, like if they're not working out, they're not going to work out. So it's on you to solve that. Yeah, that's great. Um, <clears throat> well, usually at this point, I'm asking for fundraising advice. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I would got, actually, I some of that. even even though you have good fundraising <laughs> advice, I want to spend less time on that. And I want to talk about bootstrapping advice. Okay. So let's have a fundraising tip, but I really want to talk about bootstrapping advice. Uh, fundraising tip. Um... Or just what worked for you. <laughs> uh, I mean... Uh, VCs, venture capitalists, um, are, uh, a lot like sheep, uh, or, uh, high school women, or like they, they follow each other in a way that can, you can use to your advantage. So what you need is one person to be interested. Once one person's interested, you're fine. You're like, it's like all the people who told you no a week ago are like, oh, Darren, like I'm in, I'm in. How much? Can I do the whole round? Like it just changes completely, right? And so your job is to find the one person who is going to be like, yes. Um, 
and you want to figure out like what's important to them like what are the things that like motivate them like what are they trying to do um and that just kind of comes out in the pitch uh we uh <laughs> we we got like we went out with a woodworker website trying to raise venture capital and everyone told us no um and uh i think just like not getting discouraged keep going all you need is one is uh some pretty good advice um Okay, and then on bootstrapping, like how to bootstrap, um, or just like literally somebody who's who's saying like, I literally want to try and bootstrap over the billion dollar mark. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do too. <laughs> um, that's that's the goal here. Now it's like if I could hit a billion in revenue, that'd be pretty cool. Zero to a billion. Um, so uh, okay, first of all, like a lot of people are like, I want to learn how to bootstrap, and I'm like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, let's talk. And they're they're like, yeah, okay. So I raised like 250 grand from friends and family. It's like, that's not bootstrapping. <laughs> so let, just to clearly define bootstrapping, bootstrapping means that you might put some money in. Um, I put $10,000 into this business, but you might put some money in, but like, that's it. And, and even that is like, should you put money in whatever? Um, so uh, that is a bootstrap business. You can do a business that's like low low capital investment or whatever, but a true bootstrap business is like money in. So the, the, this is like my advice. So first of all, like I think that um, entrepreneurship is like 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 I think people think about entrepreneurship like kind of incorrectly. Entrepreneurship first and foremost is about lifestyle design. Like if you're starting a business, especially one that you're going to like not raise any money, what I'd want you to do is first think about, okay, three years from now, like, what do you want your lifestyle to be like? Like, where are you waking up? When are you waking up? Are you uh, working remotely? Are you someplace warm? Are you going to the office? Are you, you know, like kind of think through your day? Are you hanging out with your kids and getting a hard workout and showing up at 11? Or are you in at 730 and like leaving at three? Like, what's your day look like? Like, what, what do you want your life to look like? Lifestyle design, first and foremost. Secondly, people are like, oh, I need to make the like X amount of money. And it's like, but very few people actually map out like how much money do they need to make? So one thing that I hear from people who want to bootstrap is like, I could never do that. I have all these expenses. And it's like, okay, cool. Have you ever mapped out what your expenses look like? And how much income you bring in and like how much savings you have and how much time you'd have or are you just saying like is that just something you say and usually people have not done the exercise of saying like okay you know i've got twenty thousand dollars in savings and i'll do this this and this and you know my spouse brings in money and so like i could last six months and take a run at it like i think that exercise is really important too because um if you're gonna bootstrap you want to make sure that you can you know figure it out um also, uh, I, um, both companies I've started, I collected unemployment while I started the companies. So whatever my last employer was who let me go, I did, was not too proud to like get the weekly check from the unemployment office. Um, and that helped cover my nut while I built my businesses. So like definitely do that because it, it helps. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah. And then as your so lifestyle design, you know, kind of figure out your how to cover your your expenses, make sure you have the right number. And then I think that um you need to like figure out how to make money. I mean, it's kind of easy, but uh 
like you are in a position where you don't have the luxury of like, well, we'll, we'll keep building that. It's not perfect yet. Like, no, you need to figure out how you can launch something immediately to start making money. And you need to be also be okay with the fact that like what you're doing today that brings in money, it might not be what your business will look like in the future. Like, and that's okay. Right. Um, because what your job is to cover your nut first, that's it. Like, so, you know, it's like, oh, I really want to, you know, start this vitamin company, but I need a minimum order quality quantity of a thousand bottles. And so like, I don't think if I'm bootstrapping, it's probably not a good idea to spend $20,000 on my first run of product. Um, let me wholesale vitamins for other people to start with and just like learn the market, start making money. Like I, yeah, this isn't like th these vitamins suck. That's why I want to build my own vitamin company. Um, but like, be okay with that because you can't have it both ways. You can't bootstrap and like, you know, set yourself up to spend $20,000 out of the gate. You need to be thinking about every dollar, uh, judiciously. Um, I think it's a lot easier to, even in the past seven years since we started ButcherBox, I think it's a lot easier to bootstrap. Like there's a lot more services out there that are, that make it super easy to, um, establish an LLC and to like get all the paperwork together and get all the legal stuff and like. You know, I think, I think it, um, yeah, it's just a lot easier. Uh, and I think you can use that to your advantage, but really like focus on getting that first money in and focus on covering your nut. Uh, and then, you know, you just build from there. And, um, I think, uh, from a marketing perspective, we've always taken an approach of, uh, it's like, I've called it like wildcatting for oil. So it's like you're running around with like a small shovel, just like digging holes. And you're like, oh, there's oil here. And then you build a, a small rig and then a bigger rig and then a massive rig. So for us, that was influencer marketing. When we launched Kickstarter, we reached out to some influencers, some people in the paleo space and said, hey, we're launching this company like because we followed your diets and we couldn't find a place to get this product just in case you want to mention us. And one person tweeted about us like, hey, this is a cool Kickstarter. And it was like, then we saw all these signups and we're like, okay, like, let's spend a little more time on that. Let's get the entire list of every single influencer who's ever done work in this, in this arena and reach out to all of them. And we did that and that worked. And then it's like, okay, like, how do we go deeper? Uh, so, you know, you're kind of looking for, you want to do small, cheap experiments. Ideally, everything is designed to make money. Um, you don't want to get in the business of like, oh yeah, we, we should the first box we ship them we lose money on but then we hope that they'll reorder like you can't do that if you're bootstrapping you need to like actually make money um all the time and then finally and i believe in this to this day um you want to distribute the stress about making money to your entire team so we are very like open open book um with the exception of like salaries like everything like we show our company everything. We show financial performance. We show balance sheet. We show cash, and and, and we explain to like we explain the numbers right in a way that people can understand. Like, okay, this went up, this went down. We're worried about this. We're hoping this will like improve. And if you do that early on, you know, you might think like, oh, well, well maybe they'll leave me because they see we don't have a lot of money. What I've found is they get excited about solving the problem of like, how do we make money here? Um, and can be your biggest ally and biggest cheerleader at that point. There's so much good advice on there. Like, I just think we need to just expand this into a quick, like five hour podcast because <laughs> I have so many things to talk about, but we are for sure going to have to have you back. Um, 
I, there's so many good things in there. Quickly, how many how many on the team now? Two hundred. Okay. Um, you know, and in sorry. So, sorry. Just on that, on the two hundred, because we built a hobby business. Like I, I wanted this to be a hobby. Um, our our backbone, as I call it, our entire backbone is third party. So we have third party shipping and logistics. So the people that like pick pack and like put the product in a box, third party, cutting facility, farms, uh, slaughterhouses, like the whole chain, uh, customer service, um, it's all third party. Uh, it's been third party from the beginning because, you know, uh, that's the only way to do it in a capital efficient manner. And I believe that um, some one of the big mistakes that some companies make is they're like, oh, we have to like we have to do that ourselves. Like we'll do it much better if we do it ourselves. And it's like you're not going to beat the company that's been doing this for 75 years. Um, just work with them. You know, lean on your vendors. We 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 look at the models of like Toyota and whatnot to like quarterly business reviews, making sure our vendors like help us. You know, like but we're we're very much so we're 200 people. But if you counted all them, we'd be we'd be thousands of people at this point. Um, you know, I went over to Japan and did some like operational excellence, lean training. Oh, um, cool. And, uh, and the fascinating thing was actually the Toyota suppliers more than Toyota yep. and realizing like how integrated they're like, they consider their suppliers part of the family. Like it's not this like third party group they're trying to pull one over on. Like they're right. Toyota people are consistently at the suppliers trying to help them improve the process. And, uh, it, it's a much more cooperative system than I have ever seen in the u.s for sure right um, and, and and that's what we try to do yeah we um, um we do an annual offsite. we like uh what we, we didn't this year but we've brought our vendors in the past um and just like enroll them in what we're doing because they're such a huge part of and if they don't care about us as a customer like we're not going to succeed yeah um so <clears throat> uh maybe as we're wrapping up here when you think about the skills it takes to run a $5 million business and then a 30 million and then a 250 and then a 450 and a basically 600. Um, what does your personal development look like? How are you scaling yourself? How do you, mm. what does that look like to make sure you're still the guy to run the business at a billion revenue? Yeah. Um, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing challenge. Um, so first, uh, for me, I have always been part of, um, uh, first entrepreneurs organization EO, and then uh, when you hit twenty million in revenue, you can go to YPO, which is Young Presidents Organization. These are places where you meet. Like you, there are some events, but those are like not really the point. But you meet with a group of other uh, people running businesses once a month, um, and it, it's kind of like if uh, um, if life's experiences are on a bell curve with like one side being really horrible stuff and one side being really amazing stuff. Oftentimes the things in the tail you don't talk about with anybody, possibly even your like spouse or loved ones or, you know, like that's the stuff. And that's the stuff that like that group is there to help you deal with, right? Like where you're coming with like your deepest wounds and problems and all of that. Um, uh, so that, and also you can come with like, I, I need a sales plan and like somebody can be like, oh, like, let me give you a number or like you, you, you get a really wonderful network. Um, so that's one, like I have to have that type of group in my life. Um, two, lots of mentors and coaching. Um, so, um, you know, mentors who meet with me monthly or mentors who meet with me every couple of weeks. Um, uh, I'm a big, I, I do really well with coaches. So like, uh, 
if if you told me, hey, Mike, work out four times this week, I'd have a really hard time like being compliant. If you told me, hey, Mike, I'm going to come work out with you four times this week, like I, no problem. I'll be there every single day. Uh, or, hey, Mike, follow this diet. Like, eh. If you're like, hey, Mike, follow this diet, I'm going to ask you every day if you follow the diet. I'm like, I'm in. So I know what works for me, which is like a lot of support and camaraderie. And so I try to like build that up. Um, can't be, you can't be um, afraid of having people in the room who are smarter than you um, because like that's what you need in every position. Like you can't be the, you can't, you can't do anything anymore when you get 200 people. Like I, I don't, I can't do anything. I can do podcasts and I can like, you know, do some one-on-ones and, you know, get up in front of the company, but it's really hard for me to like line level do much. And so I need people who I'm like, oof, like they're great at that. They're great at that. And, and, and just let go, let go of like wanting to control everything. Um, and I, I think, I mean, this is my own kind of journey of self-discovery, uh, both personally as well as professionally, but I see growing like the organization growing is just, it's a continual self-discovery, uh, a relentless uh, pursuit of improving yourself and improving the ones around you. And for me, it's like opening my heart, like opening my heart to more love and more abundance and more gratitude and um, really recognizing um, how special this is. Like it, this is, I'm so incredibly lucky to be where I am doing what I'm doing, um, to have had this business that I didn't expect to do very well to like be what it is. And just trying to remember that. Um, and not only trying to remember that, but giving thanks for that. And then trying to like, in whatever way I can pass that on, like help other people realize how big of a deal this is. Um, or, you know, um, yeah, just, just reminding people that, um, yeah, this is this is a special a special time a unique time special time and uh, reminding myself of that. Um, I I can't I, I have like deep imposter syndrome in terms of like oh yeah I don't deserve any of this like I didn't do anything here like oh the company had a mind of its own like I definitely have all my stories that g give me really easy ways to say it was all the company and not me. Um, and and I truly believe I truly believe that stuff like I'm very lucky to uh be where i've been and uh i just think like um one of the most important things when you're running a company and the company is scaling is just like that that gratitude and that kind of like um yeah just like you're not you're never going to feel like you're well suited for the role it's it's kind of like an ongoing like hmm, what can i do today to help me be a little more well suited for the role that's such a great answer. Um, <laughs> this has been so fun. Uh, so now that we all know we need to be buying uh, higher quality meat from you, where, where should we be going online? Yeah, you can go to butcherbox.com. Um, and we're always like running specials and whatnot. I think you could put Mike sent me in the um, promo code for like $30 off your first box. And then I will be able to see if uh, people signed up, which I always like. Um, and then also you can follow me on Twitter at, at Mike Salguero, S-A-L-G-U-E-R-O. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes on these podcasts, I'm like, Hey, like I want to help people. And I get inundated with, um, requests. Um, you know, I, I, 
I sometimes can't, I, I can't answer them all, all the time. It depends on how many there are, but I definitely um, try to help people however I can, even if that's an encouraging email back to you. Um, uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn or, or ping me on Twitter. That's so great. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. This was great. <laughs> okay. Bye, everyone.